the odds are that it will happen here in the state of Utah someday. And I'm probably going to have to be the one to stand in front of those parents and look them in the eye. And it's going to be devastating if I can't in good faith say we tried to do something. And so I've, as I've talked to legislative leadership and, and individual legislators that I've had the chance to discuss this with, what I've asked them is to, to please keep an open mind, um, just kind of eliminate any prior biases, and, and let's, let's have a conversation and see if there are some things that we can come together upon. Good Friday morning, and welcome back to The Daily Buzz. I'm your host, Dade Nolander. That clip was Governor Spencer Cox at his monthly news conference addressing potential gun control laws in Utah. The remarks come in the wake of a mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas and national calls for gun control. Cox signaled he was open to some changes in Utah's gun laws. Here's Sage Miller with more on what Cox said. Gun reform was the main topic of conversation during a press conference between reporters and Governor Spencer Cox on Thursday. And while he expressed disdain for the school shooting in Texas, he was more concerned with Utah's suicide and domestic violence rates. He was explicitly worried about the 30 to 50 domestic violence deaths that occur every year in Utah. And unlike other crimes in the state, instances of domestic violence are not decreasing, according to Cox. One policy the governor said he would like to see is requiring gun locks with every purchase of a firearm. Cox mentioned that public funding to provide those locks would be a possibility. He also stated he would like to see Utahns penalized and held accountable for not locking up their weapons. The result of such laws, Cox says, would prevent suicides, domestic violence, easy access to weapons, stolen weapons, and could also even prevent mass shootings. Although Cox said he was open to all discussions regarding ways to curb gun violence in Utah, he said the solutions could not infringe on the Second Amendment. Cox was weary of red flag laws, which in some instances ban people from being able to purchase or carry firearms. He said he supports red flag laws in theory, but says it usually weakens the right for someone to bear arms. The governor also didn't outwardly oppose state Senator Derek Kitchen's bill that would raise the minimum age to purchase a gun from 18 to 21. Rather, Cox said he's, quote, just not there yet on the idea. Next, politics correspondent Brian Schott discusses the latest updates in the January 6th Select Committee hearings in Congress. Brian, thank you for talking about the January 6th hearings with us. Oh, it has been must-see TV for me. I've been popping popcorn and taking notes furiously. Thursday's really focused on threats of violence to Mike Pence and the pressure that was put on Mike Pence. What did we learn on Thursday? The amount of pressure they put on Mike Pence was extraordinary. And it was a scheme to have him either refuse to accept electoral votes from seven states that Biden had won uh, or to send them back to the states. They kept asking him and asking him and asking him to do this, uh, which would keep Trump in power. And the pressure that he was being put under by Trump and Trump's allies uh, was just extraordinary. We also learned that this scheme that they were trying to pressure Pence to do, they knew it was Ill illegal. John Eastman, the lawyer for the Trump campaign who came up with this scheme, he admitted that it was illegal. He knew what he was doing. There was no basis in the Constitution or in any law for what they were attempting to do. There was t testimony that he admitted 
this scheme would lose nine nothing in the Supreme Court, and then he changed it to seven two. And I'm, it, it's not hard to figure out who those two might be. There was also sort of a remarkable moment, and this has been reported on earlier, where Pence is getting into the car at the Capitol, which at this point is under siege, and his Secret Service guy is there. From the testimony, it sounds like he he trusted his Secret Service guy, but. What else did he say? You know, this this has been interpreted a number of ways. He said, I, I trust you, but I don't trust them. This was an attempt to evacuate him from the, 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 the Capitol. Uh, and some people have said he was afraid that something was going to happen to him. There are other people who interpret that as um, a, that he was worried that he would be taken away from the Capitol and not brought back, which would then stop the certification of Joe Biden's win. But one of the things we learned today is with Pence, it was more about symbolism of not leaving the Capitol. He was not going to do this. And he came incredibly close to danger. There was testimony at one point that the rioters got within 40 feet of him and his family. And, And a confidential informant told the the committee investigators, an FBI confidential informant, that the Proud Boys, had they gotten their hands on Pence, they would have killed him. And I, I suspect that that would be the same thing for Mitt Romney or Nancy Pelosi. And we know how close Romney came to d- disaster because that's that, that, that remarkable film where he's leaving the Senate chambers. And Officer Goodman of the Capitol Police stops him and said, you need to turn around. Had Romney continued down that hallway, is a very good chance that something terrible would would have happened to him. So Pence showed a remarkable amount of bravery, especially given all the danger that he was in on that day. There's one thing that I I keep coming back to. The the crowd had breached the Capitol. um, And, and, you know, Pence was in a secure location. The crowd was was uh, inside the building. And the, the there was test testimony today that Trump's aides came to him and said, now is the time to turn down the, the temperature. You can give him a message to go home. And at 2.24 p.m., Trump tweeted out that Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what needed to be done, which just amped the crowd up even further. It was incredible just the amount of of pressure and danger that the vice president was in that day. There are so many notes, and they laid out a very compelling case that this, this was just an extraordinary campaign by Trump to get Pence to do something that everyone knew was was illegal. One of the things that struck me was uh, one of Pence's advisors tells Eastman, if if Pence follows through on this and and throws out these electoral votes, this is going to have to be determined in the streets, which seems to denote some sort of revolution, some sort of, you know, civil unrest. Uh, What was Eastman's response to that? Eastman said something along the lines of violence has been required from time to time. Uh, And you do hear that quote with a number of right right wing groups where they say the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of patriots from from time to time. And it's clear that Vice President Pence's life was in danger. There was testimony that even the morning of January 6th, there was a heated phone call between Trump and Pence. And. During that phone call, there was testimony that Trump called him a wimp 
and the P word. I'm not going to say what that is. Um, and this was before Trump had gave his speech at the Oval. When, and, and Pence wasn't even in the draft of the speech that had been writ, written. He added Pence's name and, and uh, Pence saying, I hope he has the courage to do what needs to be done. He added that after that phone call. So Trump was unrelenting in tr trying to pressure Pence to go along with this scheme. And after all of this had been done, after all this had been done, the crowd had left the cap Capitol. Congress gets back to work. John Eastman called again and called Pence again and asked him to go through with this scheme. They were not give, giving up. And when it finally dawned on them that it wasn't going to work after the insurrection, John Eastman asked Trump for a pardon. So he knew exactly what he was doing and just how illegal this scheme was. Thanks, Brian. And that's it today for the Daily Buzz. We'll be back on Tuesday after celebrating a three-day weekend for Juneteenth. Thank you to the Salt Lake City band, the Pelicans for our music, and to Danny Rubio for producing this episode. <laughs>